thank the Lord for it. Second Corinthians chapter eight is a obviously a very powerful passage of scripture, and we'll move a little quickly through this. But let me give you a, a, just a tad bit of background, if if I can. Today, if you were to go to Greece, Corinth would be a small city, uh, not much in the way of economic powerhouse, more of maybe even a, a tourist destination if you were to arrive today. A little bit of, of industry would be there, but when Corinthians was written in the first century, the city of Corinth was a major metropolitan area. It was home to four ports, or three ports, I should say, uh, and there was an isthmus or a piece of land between them, and, and it was um, between two of them, and, and it was just a, a major uh, hub for uh, ship travel and cargo. It was a major hub. It, it held the uh, northwest routes for geography. People have to walk through that area. It was a, it was a very, very, let me say it this way, a very prosperous city, a very, very wealthy city, a very well-known city, and sadly, it was a very wicked city. And the city of Corinth was uh, a navy town, if you will, and I pastored in one, and let me tell you, the reputation is fair. It's fair. I don't know if any of you have ever been in the Navy. I know we're in the middle of a place where I was in Clovis, New Mexico one time, and I said, there's not a lot of water around here. And after the service, they took me to the town pond, and they talked about how big that was. And so I'm not trying to be negative about your pool. I'm just saying it's not an ocean. And uh, in oceans, I mean, they, they brought port in or stuff in and the sailors would get off the ship and everything that you could imagine was there. Well, this had infected the church in First Corinthians and Paul writes a basically a letter of rebuke in First Corinthians. And in Second Corinthians, there had been a revival. The people got their heart right with the Lord and, and good things, positive things began to happen in the church at Corinth. And so he writes them this letter of exhortation, a letter of encouragement, and a letter of instruction as to how it is they are supposed to live for God. And he writes them here in Second Corinthians chapter 8 and really chapter 9. We'll only deal with the first 10 verses of 8 today. And he writes them because the church at Jerusalem and the people at Jerusalem were going through a major financial crisis. The city of Jerusalem in and of itself was going through a major economic downturn. And the church at Jerusalem and the Christians in the church at Jerusalem were facing grave peril. They were being persecuted just for being followers of Jesus Christ in Jerusalem, many of them were losing their jobs. Many of them were being abandoned by their families. Uh, it's not uncommon if you read some of the writings from that time from historians like Josephus and others who would talk about the fact that if you became a Christian in that day, that you would become uh, anathema to your family. You would you'd not be welcomed at the family reunion. And many times families would actually have a funeral for a person who uh, had uh, become a father follower of Jesus Christ. Well, to you and I, we would think maybe we'll just move to a new area, start life over and go on. But in first century world, and even in the Middle East today, everything about your world is connected to your family. You live in the family property. Your house, in many ways, is is, is probably even built onto your father's house or, or a family member's house. You, you, you live with your family. So these Christians in Jerusalem 
were being kicked out of their family, fired from their job, abandoned by their community, and they were just having a very, very, how about if I say it this way, a very, very difficult time financially to survive. And so Paul, in his third missionary journey, is taking up what we would call a relief offering or a special offering for the church at Jerusalem to help those saints who are really, really struggling financially. I love Pastor's lesson in the Sunday school hour. If you weren't here, I hope that they saved it online and you can listen to it. This passage here, I would submit to you, is not a faith promise missions passage, but it is a passage about faith promise giving or giving by grace, the grace of God above the tithe and above the offering. It's really where we take a biblical precedent, not a command, and I'll explain that more in a second. It's not a command that we give, but it is a precedent that we give over and above our tithe to help people in need. If you say, well, I came to church and you're talking about giving. You should have come the three other nights. I didn't hardly talk about giving at all. It's not my fault you missed. I did my best to warm the crowd up the right way. And now we'll talk about giving. Because today I was supposed to be funny. And y'all like, oh, that kid from California. I'll tell you what. I say, kid, I've got more gray hair than almost anybody here. So we just gray early out there. It's what the sun does to you. In a place where you have no wind, you just gray. And so... So we come to this passage of scripture we see in verses 1 to 3. Paul says, Moreover, brethren, we do you to wit of the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia. How that in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded unto the riches of their liberality. For to their power, I bear record, yea, and beyond their power, they were willing of themselves. I want you to notice a model of grace in verses 1 to 3. A model of grace. We do you to wit. The word wit is just an only old English term that means to recognize, to know, to be informed. It's like Paul is saying this. Hey, Christians in Corinth, I want you to recognize the grace of God that is being bestowed or given. The word bestowed means to give. We want you to recognize the grace of God that is bestowed upon the churches of Macedonia. I want you to, I want you to understand church at Jerusalem or, or Corinth, what God is doing through his power on the churches of Macedonia. Now they're talking about an offering for Jerusalem. Paul is using the Macedonian churches, modern day Turkey, the Macedonian churches as a testimony and example and exhortation to the churches of Corinth. And he uses this phrase. I want you to recognize recognize the grace of God. Now I love the grace of God and I love the salvific grace of God that has accurately been defined as, and many of you have heard it, God's riches at Christ's expense. How many of you have heard that definition as an accurate salvific definition of the grace of God? Amen. I love it. It's God's riches at Christ's expense through which we become, we are, we have the freedom opportunity to become a follower of Jesus Christ. I love the grace of God. You cannot come to Jesus on your own. You have nothing to bring to him. You have nothing to offer Christ. Salvation is entirely a work of God's abundant grace. It's all about his grace. But there's another grace in the Bible, and we call it the sanctifying grace of God. 
So there's grace to salvation, but there's grace to sanctification, which he's talking about here. And the sanctifying grace of God, the grace that makes us more like Christ, would accurately be defined as the grace of God being defined as the supernatural enabling of God that brings about Christ-like change. God enables the believer through his power to become more like Christ. And that's exactly what God was doing to the churches of Macedonia. Paul is saying, church at Corinth, we're taking up this offering for the people at Jerusalem. And I want you to see the testimony of the supernatural hand of God that is on the churches of Macedonia. Well, why is this such a big deal? Well, because the church of Macedonia were poor. They weren't just a little poor. They were real poor. Matter of fact, the Bible describes how poor they are in verse number two. How that in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded under the riches of their liberality. Great. Polos is the, or polis is the Greek word. It means much or many. It indicates a severity of the trial. We often use the word great in a lot of ways. We can say it like this. I mean, we had a great meal. Or I had a great day at work. Or how bad was the problem? It was a great big problem. That's the idea of this word. Severity. Harshness. The context determines the definition here. And the context of it is that these people had a great trial or a great test or a great ideal. These churches at Macedonia were facing a trial of affliction, a trial of suffering, a trial of pain, a trial of difficulty. I mean, it was deep, the trial that they were. And the Bible uses this word. We'll skip over and come back to joy in just a second. And their deep poverty abounded under the riches of their liberality. The word, the phrase deep poverty literally means this, utter poverty or poverty down to the depths. Now, if you come to San Diego, you will see a group of people standing on the corner that have tents on the side of the road asking for money. And people say, well, do you help them? No. Why? Because they're not in deep poverty. Most of them have social security cards and you give them a check every month. They just enjoy living on the street or they have an addiction that caused them to live on the street, which is the greater problem most of the time. But they don't really need money. They need help in a different way. And we try to provide help in a different way. But we don't want to give them money because money exacerbates the problem that they have. Not trying to be negative in a single way, shape or form, but they have a greater problem uh, than simply a need for money. They don't need money. They have plenty of that. They have a much bigger problem. So I'm on a mission trip, Pastor. 2014, Debbie and I go to the island of Fiji. We've been in Fiji all week long. It's hot, humid, and beautiful. Which hot and humid make everything beautiful bad. Can I get an amen? And uh, we're in Fiji. and We're taking the missionary at the end of the mission trip to the Fijian version of Sam's Club. And so we're taking them to Sam's Club. Hey, we want to buy some things. We want to buy some, some, you know, whatever your children's ministry might need, whatever your ministry might need. We just want to bless you. Our church wants to bless you. We'd set aside some budgetary amounts to do that. We'll buy candy for a year. We'll buy markers for you. Whatever it is that you guys need. We don't know what you need, so we didn't bring it, but we'll go and get it. So we go to the, the Fijian Sam's Club, and we get out of the vehicle that we were in, and this... 
a lady comes up to me and she says in broken English, uh, could you please give me some money? And I looked right at her with my American sensitivity and everything that and I was trying to be nice. And I said, no, ma'am, I, I, I don't give to people who ask for money. And the missionary looked at me and goes, why didn't you give her any money? I said, well, because we don't give people money because they'll just use it for drugs or alcohol or to support an addiction. He said, oh, you think like an American. <laughs> to which I looked at him and I said, I am one who used to support you. <laughs> and he goes, Chris, you don't understand. He goes, that lady has three kids and she is so poor, no one will help her. Fiji is a Hindu culture, a basic, it's a caste system. And she says, if you don't help her, no one will. She says, we know that lady, and she will sell her body tonight just to provide food for her kids. You say, what'd you do? I chased that lady down. You ever seen a big white dude chasing a lady down in Fiji? Everybody watches. I ran up to her and I gave her some money and I was broke. And here's what I understood. She faced deep poverty. Wasn't like she was spending money on the wrong thing. These people in Macedonia, they weren't spending money on the wrong thing. They weren't spending money on stuff they shouldn't be. They weren't frivolous with their money. They weren't wasting their money. They, they didn't ask the church to pay their power bill while they went to the movies and went on vacation and ate out at Kentucky Fried Chicken, if you even have one here. They, they, that's not what we're talking about. This lady, this lady, these folks were really, really poor. They were utterly poor, literally down to the depths. Look at the text. How in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty. Now, now listen to this. Abounded unto the riches of their liberality. These poor folks are abounding unto riches. Now there's a contrast there. You're really poor, but they're abounding in riches of liberality. Abounding, abundance. It means overflowing, something above the ordinary. The, the abundance, the, their deep poverty abounded under the riches of their liberality. There was a great abundance that was going on here. The Bible says up a, a little bit ahead of that in verse number two, the abundance of their joy, chara, rejoicing, happiness, gladness. It was a joy that was seen all over their face. I'm not waiting for something to say. I'm letting it sink in. Here's how most Americans give. It's like me when I give my daughters money. Like, oh, you can never mind. Come on, Dad. Oh, you, oh, never mind, Dad. Come on, it's my money anyway. I know, but I was holding it, and and this is the holder's fee. <laughs> I work in Washington D.C. I can't let go. It's mine. We give very begrudgingly. The abundance of their joy, their chara, their happiness, their benevolence. The word chara. If you see, uh, let's see. Uh, well, I was watching the choir and uh, Jenny Prater was or was up here singing. And there was, just if you're watching, I mean, I know I'm supposed to be worshiping the Lord, but I'm nosy. So I was just watching people sing because I've seen grouchy people singing about the goodness of God. And if you're grouchy singing about the goodness of God, you don't really mean it. So I'm not going to listen. I'm watching ESPN. So I was watching the choirs. That was a funny line and you should write that down and tweet it. 
But I was watching your pastor's wife sing, and I watched, no, I'm not exaggerating here, an abundance of joy. Just saying, she was smiling, she was happy, she was joyful. I don't know that every situation in her life is joyful. I mean, come on, she's married to your pastor. You know she suffers. She needs Jesus more than anybody. She's talking about, may the people's praise you. She's looking forward to heaven because it ain't there now. And so I'm watching her sing and I'm watching that joy. And I look over at my beautiful wife and I, I see the joy. Some of the songs my wife didn't even know. And she's just smiling and singing and trying to figure it out. And there's just joy. That's the kind of joy that the church at Macedonia had when it came to giving. The abundance of their joy and their deep poverty, keep looking, abounded unto the riches of their liberality. It just simply means this. These poor folks were really willing liberality, a freedom in giving, giving over and above what is expected, giving over and above what is required. I mean, your town got the name liberal from a man who gave water liberally to people who did not necessarily deserve it. He was just showing Christian care and giving. That's the meaning of the word. It abounded unto the riches of their liberality. Verse number three, for to their power or to their ability. They get, Paul says, I bear record. I could testify to this. Now you gotta understand something. Paul was a wealthy dude at one point. Matter of fact, as being what was projected to be on the fast track military term for getting there quicker than anybody else. Paul was on the fast track to being the leader of the Sanhedrin. In modern day terminology, just that position of being a leader of the Sanhedrin, just during the Passover, would have merited the leader of the Sanhedrin somewhere in modern day terms between 10 and 15 million dollars because of the way they abused the system. Paul was a wealthy man, and Paul understood wealth, and Paul is a, is a man who knows numbers, and Paul is talking about these poor people, and he says this, they gave, in verse number three, the first part, they gave what they could afford for to their power. They went home, they budgeted what they could afford to their power, yea, and beyond their power, above, by faith. By faith, they asked God to tell them what to give and beyond their power, over and above what they could afford by faith. No, did you hear me? Above what they could afford by faith. You say, well, how can you give more than you, than you can afford? God tells you to do it. God tells you to do it. When God tells you to do something, you do it. Well, I don't know how it's going to come through. That's where living by faith comes into play. Matter of fact, God demands every believer to live by faith. Poor people often live better by faith than rich people. Rich people like to be rich. And when God tells rich people to live by faith, sometimes they get really shaky and scared. We got some in our church and they don't mind giving. They don't mind even giving a lot compared to what poor people give. But giving to the same amount of faith or sacrifice is something unforeseen to them or something that they are very uncomfortable with. Why were the people at at Macedonia not uncomfortable? Verse number three, uh, I bear record, yea, and beyond their power, they were willing of themselves. They were over and above. They were acting out of a self-motivated, voluntary choice to give. 
I wonder today as we take faith, promise, missions, commitments today, are you stepping out by faith? Have you prayed and asked God, God, what do you want me to give by faith? What do you want me to give above and beyond by faith? Oh, I, I can afford $25 a week. Now, for some of you, this is the first time you've ever heard about faith, promise, missions, giving. We praise God for you being here. I hope you'll get on board. I hope you'll get on board. But for some of you, you've been giving a long time. And, and every time it comes to faith, promise, mission, giving time, you're like, oh, do I want to do it again? Do you want to do it again? Do I want to do it again? And God sends a pastor or a preacher up here to say, yes, live by faith. Why do I need to live by faith again? Because you get to see the mighty hand of God work in a way that you never could have seen before. I love that old Janet Paschal song. I've been through enough to know he'll be enough for me. I've been through enough to know God will provide my needs. I know that you can't outgive the Lord. I know that, that, that given it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over shall men give into your bosom with the same measure that you meet with all it shall be measured to you again. I know the missions promises of Philippians 4.19. My God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. I love those verses and they're not just verses that we memorize. They're a pattern for our life. Your checkbook really is an indication of where your heart is. For the younger generation, your Venmo and Apple Pay accounts are an indication for where your heart is. Jesus said it this way, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. You can't be ticked off at Jesus if you're given. I'm just telling you, you can't. I don't have time to finish this. I'll give you the points and then I'll, I'll share two illustrations and I'll be done. Verse number four and five. Uh, praying us with much entreaty that we would receive the gift and take upon us the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. Paul said what you're giving to the church of Macedonia. Paul said what you're giving us is too much. And they had to plead with him. They, they prayed to him with much entreaty or encouragement. Paul, we're going to be okay. Paul, we're going to be, we're going to be fine. They had a real desire to help. They wouldn't let the apostle Paul say no when it came to them helping the church at Jerusalem. Their faith was more powerful than Paul's. Did you hear that? Praying us with much entreaty. It seems like from the context that Paul is saying, whoa, guys, this might be too much. No, no, Paul, we, we understand something. We understand something, 2 Corinthians 4, 7, that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. He is going to take care of us. He is going to provide for us. Verse number five, and this they did not as we had hoped. Here's where giving starts. They first gave their own selves to the Lord. When you give yourself to the Lord, money doesn't matter. Did you, did you, when you give yourself to the Lord, money doesn't matter. Five years ago, six years ago, uh, I gave the largest raise in the history of Canyon Ridge Baptist Church to our assistant pastor. It was something like 30%. I hadn't been paying him anything, so I paid him 30 bucks. No, I'm kidding. Um, I, 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 it, was, it was a huge increase. It was a step of faith for our church. I felt like we needed to do it, and I gave it to him. I did this two weeks before Missions Commitment Sunday because that's just when his annual review was. I wasn't thinking anything. Missions Commitment Sunday came. This Sunday came in our church. And I don't know what anybody gives. Nobody puts their name on it. But if you know our assistant pastor, you know the way that he writes. 
He's a Naval Academy graduate, and he, he writes like he was born in 1612. I mean, he's got this really weird cursive, and he, like, pulls out his quill and touches it, and he ink, dips it in the ink, and he writes, get this big, long feather there, and you're like, dude, what, what do you, come on. So everybody could tell. So Debbie was adding up the cards, Debbie and another guy, and Debbie, being a really nosy pastor's wife, Comes and says to me, did you know how much Bernie gave? I said, no, babe, I don't know what people give. We asked them not to sign the card and it's none of our business. She said, well, he gave this much. And I'm like, holy cow, that's totally my business. Wow. And this is what I'm thinking. I appreciate your faith, but I'm going to have to feed your family. That's what I thought. I mean, you might not feel that. You say, Chris, you had little faith. I did. I admit it. So between services, I cornered him in the office and, and he's a Navy guy. So he believes in authority and authority positions and all of that. And I, I, I said, Bern, I got a question for you. He's like, yeah. He goes, pastor, wasn't today great? I was like, oh, it was great. Wasn't it wonderful? Oh, it was wonderful. Pastor, don't, I mean, this is one of the best days we ever had. I think it was the first missions year. We went over like $150,000 in missions, which was a, a hallelujah time for us. We had about 115, 120 people and we gave over 150 grand in missions. I mean, I was pumped by that. I was, I was ecstatic. And he goes, wasn't that great? I was like, yeah, it was great. But Bernie, I have a question for you. He goes, yeah, what's that? I, I said, um, I don't know normally what people give, but because your writing is well, so feminine, I was just looking through the cards and I was able to tell what you gave. And I was like, dude, are you sure? And, and I mean, he and I've been friends at that time for 15 years. I mean, he's, he's as close to me as my brother. I mean, I'm just telling you, he's as close to me as my brother. His, his kids are like my grandkids, uh, which would make me from Kentucky, but you get the idea. Um, some of you will get that on the way home. Like, oh, that was good. Yeah, that's good. Delayed humor is better than no humor. Um, and he looked at me and, 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 and Brother Bill, this is what he said to me. He goes, I got a question for you. And I'm like, okay. This is what he said. Who do you think you are? And I was like, uh, well, I'm Chris Chadwick. Six two one zero three three five four one is my social security number. I live at thirty, you know, whatever. I give my address that I can't remember right now. Um, he goes, no, no. He goes, I'm not being funny. Who do you think you are to question my faith? Are you telling me that you're bigger than God? Are you telling me that God can't take care of me and my family? Are you telling me that God didn't tell me to step out by faith and give that amount? I mean, who do you think you are, Pastor? I don't think this is any of your stinking business. Keep your nose in its own business. You say, what'd you say to him? (laughs) What every pastor would say, you're fired. (laughs) No, I was like, okay. He's tearing. I mean, he's crying. He goes, do you know how much commitment it took for me to give that? And the step of faith it took for me to give that? And here you are trying to question my faith and make me doubt and make me doubt the goodness of God and the greatness of God. I mean, who do you think you are? I'm like, whoa, burn. I just don't want your wife starving. He's like, my wife's not going to starve. And if she does, it's none of your cotton picking business. To which I said, okay, calm down. Calm down. Can we hug? He goes, no, I don't even like you. I'm like, right on. Now the truth comes out. 
Dude gave his whole raise. You say, oh, I bet God blessed and turned it around and they won Publishers Clearinghouse and the lotto. You say, your guys play the lotto? No, but Brother Prater told me I should. So, No, they, they didn't win anything. Matter of fact, you know what happened? About a week later, their car broke down. Not long after that, like the washing machine broke. Not long after that, something else in their house broke down. You say, I thought God would make you rich. No, God doesn't necessarily make you rich when you give on this earth, but you're storing up treasures in heaven that will last for eternity. You say, well, where's he at today? Well, God kind of let him, and I mean of the Lord, let him about four years ago, three or four years ago, to start this little business, buying apartment buildings, and helping pastors retire. And he was worth about 14 cents four years ago. Today's worth about $6 million. You say, no. Would God do that for me? I don't know if God will do that for you. I give more than he does. I'm not worth $6 million. I give way more than he does. I'm not worth $6 million. I can't guarantee you what your value will be on this earth. Faith promise giving is not a give to get scheme. It's a give to obey reality. We're not promising you that any prosperity because you give. I don't want you to think that the gospel is about you getting rich. It's not. I love the study of, of Psalm 67 that we did this morning. But the reality is God might not make it rain on your family. I grew up in a poor preacher's home and the first, the biggest budget item in my family's history has always been faith, promise, missions giving. Since I was a little kid, I don't ever remember a time when that was not the case. But my parents have never had a lot. My parents have never lived in a beautiful house. My parents have, and now they live in a fine house. God's blessed them. They love where they live. They've been blessed immensely. But I'll, I'll tell you this. The reason we give to missions is not to get. The reason we give to missions is because we serve a wonderful, merciful Savior who has blessed us in so many ways. Verse number seven of our text, and I'm done with this just second. Therefore, as you abound in everything, talking to the church at Corinth, they abounded in faith and utterance and knowledge and diligence and in love to us. They love the apostle Paul. See that you abound in this grace giving also. That's the motivation for believers. But notice verse number eight. We've got to be clear here. I speak not by commandment, but by the occasion of the forwardness of others to prove the sincerity of your love. Paul says, you don't have to give. Let me tell you, faith, faith promise giving is not commanded. It is not commanded. I cannot stand up here and say, God demands that you give. Now, where the Bible is very clear and shouts, I'm going to shout all day long. I'm going to shout all day long. I don't even have to like it. You don't have to like it. None of us have to like it. But if God says it, thus saith the Lord, then this, I committed, your pastor committed. You've got a, you've got a heritage of godly pastors over the, over the decades that have committed to whatever God's word says, that's what we're going to teach. And by the way, the heritage that your church has is uncommon. You ought to praise the Lord for that. You have a heritage of pastors that. I'm not going to, I'm not going to tell you this is commanded, but I am going to finish out that verse. I speak not by commandment, but by the occasion of the forwardness of others and to prove the sincerity of your love. Somebody said one time, you can give without loving, but you cannot love without giving. You cannot love without giving. And Paul says, I'm just doing this to prove the sincerity of, of your love. Now notice verse number nine. This is what it all comes back to. 
That's what it all comes back to. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that ye through his poverty might be rich. Giving, as it always does, comes back to the gospel. Jesus left heaven and came to earth so that you and I might be saved. When you give, you give not be really even not necessarily because other people need it, though that that does play that does factor in. We give to let the King of kings and Lord of lords who loved us and died for our sins, we give back to him to prove the sincerity of our love, not to people in Ireland that we've never met or Argentina that we've never met, but we give to prove to the King of kings and Lord of lords that we love him. That's why we give. Why do we love him? Well, because he left heaven, verse number nine, and he came to this earth so that you might be saved. If you're here today and you're a believer, let me just tell you that your giving is a reflection of your belief in the gospel. It's a reflection of your belief in the good news of Jesus Christ. It's a reflection of of your trust in the King of kings and Lord of lords. And the God who saved you uh, desires to save other people. And if you're here today and you're not saved, if you're here today and you don't know Christ as your Savior, I want you to know that 1 Timothy 2, verse number 4, talking about God who will have all men to be saved and come into the knowledge of the truth. God wants you to be saved. He sent Jesus from heaven to this earth that you might be saved. I could tell a thousand stories of the goodness of God. I could tell a thousand stories about how good he is. Time will not allow for that. Here's the greatest story of all time. The greatest by faith step was when Jesus left heaven, came to earth, lived 33 and a half beautiful, perfect years, proved to all mankind that he is the promised Messiah of the Old Testament, died on a cross, and the moment he said to Teleestai, it is finished, his blood was taken to the mercy seat, in heaven, put on the mercy seat in heaven and the veil in the temple that separated man from God was torn in two. And you and I, because of the work of Jesus Christ can now for the first time in history on this side of eternity can now have a direct relationship with God because of the giving heart of Christ, who though he was rich yet for our sakes became poor that we through his poverty might be rich. Yeah, that's a clapping point in San Diego. Are you willing to do without so others can hear the gospel? Told you about the guy that's worth all the money now. They live in an eight with, with three kids. An 850 or 900 square foot house. 30 minutes away from the church, three tiny bedrooms, and one bathroom. And when I say bathroom, it's kind of more like one of those big stalls at a truck stop. Tiny. You say, why? That other people across the world might be saved. You say, well, why are you telling us? Well, I I, I just think I'm following a biblical example of challenging your faith by the faith and obedience of another brother in the Lord. And let me tell you, I could tell you hundreds if not thousands of stories like that. I, I just know him well. And he loves Jesus. And I know you do too. Let's be committed to give. You say, well, I already filled out my card during the Sunday school hour. I feel like God probably wants me to give more. But since I already filled it out, I'll just call it good. No, no, no. Just get another card and add on. Just add on. But step up by faith. 
Live big for Christ. He died for you. Father, bless our